Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show, and today uh, we're bringing on Dogs Two Four Seven beat writer Jordan Hill onto the show to get you, the Duck fan, ready to go for this big football game Saturday afternoon, our time, late afternoon Atlanta time, where where all three will be at uh, at the Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Jordan, thanks for coming on the show. How you doing? Yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here and, and good as, you know, doing radio hits and everything all week. You know it's finally game game yeah. week. You know, it, the offseason drags so long, and we're here and, and just super excited to get the season started. Yeah, football is here when we know we're all getting text messages to, hey, can you do radio? Can you do TV? Let's let's get this going because this is a big game, it, understandably so, you know, two top 15 teams playing, defending national champs in Georgia. Um, before we go to this game, though, Jordan, but let's go back to last year real quick. National champs, a load of NFL talent was on its roster. Some of it's back. Some of it's gone. Um, just what's kind of the perceived strengths and weaknesses of the 2022 version of the Georgia Bulldogs going into camp? And has that maybe changed as they exited camp? Yeah, you know, I think the storyline going into fall camp for Georgia and even really going back to spring was just the amount of talent they have at tight end. I mean, you could probably put it up against any position group and definitely tied in in the country uh, with guys like Brock Bowers, who had an excellent freshman year. Uh, Eric Gilbert, who was at LSU a few years ago and uh, really showed out during spring practice. And then Darnell Washington, who for a while there was kind of the forgotten guy of the three, you know, just a former five star, six foot seven uh, behemoth that can make big plays. He really came on in fall camp and, and kind of, you know, garnered that uh, interest and the intrigue about him that he's had in the past. So that's sort of been where everybody has paid attention to is tied in, specifically with the offense and and just trying to figure out how exactly George is going to use these guys. You know, are we going to see two tight ends, three tight ends, heck, even getting some guys out wide and, and getting as many tight ends on the field as they can. And then what's nice really about the guys on defense is they're kind of spread throughout this defense. You kind of start at the front with Jalen Carter, a guy who, you know, it's still early and we're starting to see – projections for the 2023 draft he's a guy that a lot of people think could be a top three top five pick a very good defensive tackle who even last year when they had jordan davis and trayvon walker and, and Devonte wyatt a lot of people were saying we're worried about number 88 we're worried about jalen carter even more than those guys so people expect big things from him Nolan Smith, an outside linebacker who, when he signed with Georgia, was the number one composite recruit, uh, has done a very good job. His stats don't exactly fly off the page, but people really pinned him as a leader on this defense. And we've seen a lot of things from him, even going back to spring practice, where he's done that. I mean, he stepped up as one of the older guys. He's a senior. He talked about the fact that the big reason he came back was his mom wanted him to get his college degree, but he's got a chance to come back 
follow a championship season and then per, you know perhaps be a first round pick when it's all said and done. And then going back to the back part of the defense, the secondary, another guy who may wind up being a top 10 pick in Keely Ringo, a cornerback yeah. who was a big time recruit that Georgia got from out West. He was hurt in 2020, uh, had labrum surgery before the season, didn't play at all. Kind of gets thrust into the starting lineup four games in last year and does a very good job and then ends the season in a way that uh, you can't, you know, even write. I mean, picking off Bryce Young for a 79-yard pick six that pretty much set off the celebration in Athens. I think they're probably still, you know, picking up debris and everything from that championship. But uh, they, they're, they're in a very good position uh, talent-wise. They just are in certain uh, spots on the roster on both sides. Uh, the thing that Kirby Smart has really emphasized is talented but inexperienced. And the only way to cure that inexperience is to get game experience, and uh, that's going to start on Saturday. I'm curious for you, Jordan. Um, you know, you just ran through a lot of the players we're familiar with um, and on a really talented team. I, I know we don't want to spend all day talking about Dan Lanning, but he coached and recruited a lot of the players on that roster that you just talked about. What? What was the perception of of Dan when he was down there behind the scenes? You know, what, what were people talking about him before he took the Oregon job? And now that he's out west, kind of what's the perception of, hey, we're facing a team coached by this guy who was just here? It's kind of funny talking about Dan. I was working on a story earlier just from what he has said this week and what Kirby has said this week. And I mentioned Nolan Smith and one of the photos was Nolan like draped over Dan Lanning celebrating a big play, something that had happened. You know, when Dan was first hired, I think a lot of people were not so much surprised, but very inquisitive about who this was. He was coming from Memphis. You know, at the time, Memphis was pretty good, but he was by no means a very well-known coach. But then you kind of looked and saw, oh, he's got the Alabama tie, being a graduate assistant in Kirby's last year. And I think he did an excellent job. You know, he came on initially was just the outside linebackers coach. Mel Tucker leaves, takes the Colorado job. And really, when that happened, I think a lot of people thought it would be automatically Glenn Schumann, a guy that uh, was 25 years old. Think about that when Kirby hired him. And a lot of people had him pinned as a very good defensive mind. And, and he's shown that in the time he's been in Athens. But it was kind of Dan that got the, the coordinator title. And then these last three years, their defense, Georgia, has had statistically one of the best defenses in the nation and then you look back to last year, the amount of success they had on defense, they give up something absurd, like 10.2 points per game. I mean, it was just, you know, nobody could move the ball. Nobody could score on these defenses. And I think it, it was pretty natural after a season like that. And uh, even with how close Georgia has come to chips on Kirby Spartan, been contenders, we've seen guys leave this staff and become head coaches. Mel Tucker, who I mentioned, Sam Pittman. Shane Beamer left and went to Oklahoma and then got the South Carolina job. So I think it was pretty natural for people to look uh, this past offseason and, and expect Dan to maybe get a chance to be a head coach somewhere. Now, did they think it was going to be Oregon? Probably not. I mean, you know, no real, real regional tie. And, and obviously, a lot of the times you see uh, situations where a coach is going to be uh, where he's got sort of a background. But I think people recognize the opportunity Dan's getting. You know, obviously, the success that Mario had at Oregon. And just the continued success that the Ducks have had, even going through pretty much the entire 21st century. Uh, I think Georgia fans are excited. Uh, I don't know that they're going to be rooting for Dan. I think the only people with Georgia ties that are going to be rooting for him are going to be his family. I saw he said something about that uh, earlier this week. But I think people are happy to see Dan. The amount of success he had, not only 
on the field, but in the recruiting. And again, a lot of these guys that are going to be making plays Saturday were recruited by Dan. Uh, people are excited to see what he does, maybe just not what he does on Saturday. He's tried to downplay his familiarity with Georgia. Um, do you buy into the idea that he's going? You know, Oregon's going to have some kind of advantage because he knows the players, he knows their tendencies, and yeah, you know, at least on the defensive side of the football, and because he he recruited them, he brought them, you know, he coached them, and then on vice versa, is Georgia going to have some kind of insight and advantage to knowing? how Dan likes to attack on certain situations or, you know, what, you know, chess moves he likes to make in this uh, when, when, when I guess when, when Georgia has the football, is there, are you a believer in this? Like there's going to be some advantages inside information here. I think it's sort of a wash also when you factor in Brian McClendon being the receivers coach and haven't been in Oregon, but really the thing that I think when it comes to, the familiarity between the staffs and, and, you know, obviously knowing the personnel, what I think could help Oregon more than anything is Dan Lanning helping Kenny Dillingham put Bo Nix in good positions because obviously Dan was on these Georgia staffs when Bo was at Auburn. I think he might have a little insight on, okay, this is how Kirby and this coaching staff at Georgia are going to try to make Bo uncomfortable. Here are the things we did in the past that you could expect to see. To me, that's maybe the, the biggest thing just because some of the other stuff, uh, you know, I know the coaches are going to downplay, you know, how familiar they are. And obviously things change over the course of spring practice, fall camp, you know, guys getting hurt or guys really stepping up. But to me, it's a situation where Dan has seen Georgia put Bo Nix in bad situations. And the best that Bo Nix ever played against Georgia was in 2019, which was when Kenny Dillingham was at Auburn. Um, so uh, to me, of, of all the sort of um, mind games or sort of advantages that could be had between, you know, Dan having coached at Georgia and, and sort of that part of the, the puzzle, to me it's maybe Dan being able to help that offensive staff uh, put Bo in good situations. We're going to talk a lot about the matchups here, um, and rightfully so, but I'm curious as somebody who knows a lot about this Georgia team and, and kind of what, what, what are you curious to see from a Georgia perspective this weekend? Um, you know, what, what, what I know, cause Georgia's lost. The personnel is not direct carryover. They lost both running backs. They lost a lot of the receivers. They lost a ton on defense and yet they're still ranked third in the country for a reason. What are there some areas that you just are focusing in and kind of dialed in on and trying to see what happens on Saturday? The two that immediately come to mind, one is the receiving core. We've talked about the tight ends, you know, it's sort of a situation going back to when fall camp opened. Kirby Smart said, you know, these receivers aren't only competing against each other, they're kind of competing against these tight ends because of how much talent is there mm-hmm. and the idea that, you know, those guys may get on the field and you got another receiver over there watching from the sideline. So, you know, it, there's a good feel for the top three receivers for Georgia. Uh, it's going to be Adonai Mitchell, who if you watch the national title game, he kind of had the behind-the-back catch in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter that got Georgia the lead. He's looked at as that receiver one. Some people are saying George Pickens 2.0. Maybe hit the brakes just because that's a lot to live up to, you know, going into just his sophomore season. Uh, Lad McConkey, who would be out at Flanker. He's a guy that was a redshirt freshman that really came out of nowhere last year. He was on the scout team the year prior to that and had a very good year. And then Kiaris Jackson, who is a senior, who, you know, had a really, really good 2020, had a surgery, a knee surgery before 2021, and, and just noticeably wasn't the same. And he talked about that after the spring game. He said, you know, I have not essentially lived up to my potential. He said, I have not been the Kiaris Jackson I can be. 
uh, while at Georgia. So my, my question is really those guys behind them. They've got a few different receivers who we've heard make plays. Dominic Blaylock is a junior. He's had two knee injuries to the same knee going back yeah. to the 2019 SEC championship game. He's gotten a lot of buzz. I want to see how he kind of works in. I think he would be that slot receiver uh, behind Kiaris Jackson. Uh, and then also some of the other guys, Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint. Dylan Bell's a true freshman who we've heard a lot about, but uh, I don't know how much he'll factor in being that young. But you watch him on the practice field, he, he certainly looks the part of an SEC receiver, uh, just obviously doesn't have that experience. And then other than the receivers, to me, and this in my mind is where this game is going to be won or lost, is the Georgia defensive line. And, and we mentioned Jalen Carter earlier. He's kind of the only established person they have on the defensive line. The guy that's going to be lined up beside him at nose tackle is Zion Logue. He's an older guy. He played sparingly last year and did have something like 12 or 15 tackles. But, again, it was very hard to get on the field when you had Jordan Davis, Devontae <laughs> Wyatt, Trayvon Walker. He has really walked the walk and talked the talk as far as being a leader, You know, feeling like he's got to step up because they've lost so much talent. This defense lost eight starters from last year, and uh, seven of them were drafted. Uh, so Zion's going to have a big task because you know people are looking at Jalen Carter, probably going to double him. Zion's going to have to make plays. And then really a big question as far as who is going to start is going to be a defensive end. Uh, they've got three guys, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, who's a redshirt freshman, who was actually a defensive tackle, and they kind of moved there out of necessity for the spring game and actually looked really, really good beside those other two guys. But they've also got Tramel Walthour, who's a senior not a lot of seniors on this team, and that's just sort of the nature of when you have so many guys declare early and go to the draft. But he's one of them. Uh, he missed spring but has looked good through the fall. And then Michael Williams, who's Georgia's highest-rated signee from the 2022 class. ton of praise, and even surprisingly so from Kirby Smart because Kirby will talk up guys, but he can be a little reserved about younger guys, not putting too much pressure on them. He has very much sung the praises of Michael Williams, a guy that's in state, a guy that was a USC commit, and then they fired Clay Helton. It kind of opened up his recruitment again. Uh, my question is sort of who fits into that role and, and the guys like Zion Logue and Michael Williams, if they can open up opportunities for Jalen Carter, uh, because everybody knows who he is at this point, and they know, especially with a, an experienced offensive line like Oregon, uh, they're going to focus on 88, and some other people around him are going to have to make plays. Jordan, you kind of ran through some of the parts of my question, the answers to my question, but um, we know Brock Bowers, we know Jalen Carter, Nicobe Dean, Ringo. These are the stars of, of this team, but there's that next group of guys that could elevate to, to maybe almost being a superstar themselves, certainly being an NFL caliber guy uh, this coming spring. Who are those guys? Because there's a lot of new open positions. Who are those names that, you know, the – Oregon fans are going to gravitate and go, wow, that guy's good. I didn't realize he was that good. Yeah, starting on offense, I think Adonai Mitchell, as I had mentioned, he'll be a sophomore. I think that he's going to be a big part of this passing game. Kenny McIntosh is going to be the starting running back. He's a senior. He might be the guy that has been talked about the most in fall camp, and that's really a very good sign if you're a Georgia fan or someone following the program. They needed a running back to step up. They've lost Samir White and James Cook, who were both drafted. Needed someone to step up, and Kenny McIntosh has done that. The thing that really makes him dangerous 
it's his ability to catch the ball. He didn't have a single drop on a target last year, and that's going to be something that Stetson Bennett and this offense is going to utilize. So I would expect Kenny to get the ball, um, get a lot of carries, but also being a big part of the passing game. And then defensively, the guy that uh, probably since the first day of spring practice, the name that has been mentioned more than anybody else is inside linebacker Jamon Dumas Johnson, who is his nickname is Pop. And so you might hear some talk about Pop when it comes to that game on Saturday. He is a sophomore. He's a guy that uh, was highly recruited, a guy in state that didn't play again very much last year, but he was behind three inside linebackers who were all taken in the top 102 picks of April's draft. Uh, but he looked very good when he got to play. He had a pick six against UAB. He was a guy who maximized the amount of reps he got. And then again, you come in to the start of a new year. They need guys desperately to step up, having lost so much talent. And Jamon Dumas Johnson has been the most consistent inside linebacker. And they've got other guys that have been in the mix and, and guys I think they feel really good about. I think Jamon is a guy that is ready to break out. I think he's got a chance to to have a really good season. And I think that uh, especially when it comes to these early games, he's going to be counted on. You know, the middle of that defense, especially with the way Kirby Smart and then obviously when Dan Lanning was there before, they expect those inside linebackers to do a whole lot in this defense. And Jamon Dumas Johnson has been the guy throughout spring practice and fall camp. And I think he's getting ready to have a really big year. Let's talk about quarterback because I think we probably spend at least one one question of each of these just chatting about quarterbacks because that's the player that the opposing fan base is going to watch the most on a Saturday. Stetson Bennett, kind of a weird season last year, and you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think there were times where people were kind of doubting whether this was the right fit. I know after the Alabama game there was some concerns and, and some maybe voiced those pretty publicly in terms of fans and, and whatnot, but he came out and he really, I think, proved a lot of people wrong in, in the college football playoff. Really, really fantastic first showing, again, the win over Michigan. Maybe not quite as impressive statistically against Alabama in the championship, but made the plays and ultimately guided them to the first title in over 40 years. Have those concerns kind of quieted down a little bit? And kind of how is maybe Stetson feel different this year as opposed to last fall? Well, I think that really stands out when it comes to Stetson. And I think something people kind of lose sight of, and it's easy to do, is the fact that this time last year he was taking third-team reps. I mean, as far as in fall camp, he was taking third-team reps. He had pretty much gone to the offensive coordinator. I was like, look, man, I need more work. Uh, but then when they got into the season, JT Daniels gets hurt, and, J and uh, Stetson gets put into that situation and did a very good job of, of uh, you know, stepping up and, and playing that role and, you know, overcame a really rough showing against Alabama in the SEC title game and then wound up being the offensive MVP of the Orange Bowl and then also the national title game. So I had a very good close to the season. I think the fact that Stetson has first team reps from spring practice through the summer, through fall camp, there has never been a question that he is not QB1. And I think that's worthwhile. I mean, I think that's a situation uh, where uh, Georgia understands that he's in, uh, you know, they're going to put him in position to make plays. He's a guy that uh, is trusted to run this offense, that this offense is going to be built knowing that Stetson is the quarterback. Uh, so I think he's set up for a really big year. I think he's got an opportunity to make a lot of plays. And uh, I think he's got a chance to build off of last year, I've seen some people talk about him as a potential Heisman dark horse, you know, like a good 
a betting odd just because of the odds. I don't know about that, but I do think he can, you know, improve his completion percentage, throw for more yards, maybe even have a few more passing touchdowns. Just because, again, he's had an entire year where everybody knows he is the guy, been able to really build on those relationships and uh, have a chance to, again, have a big year as a super senior. Who's the X factor? Like, I, I, I think, and that can be defined in many different ways for you, but just when you look at this game, it's like, is there a guy, and it could be, maybe it is Carter or, or Bowers, but it, is there one guy that you just say, hey, if this guy plays good, they're not losing? Yeah, it's a tough question. I think my answer would probably be Bowers just because he is such a mismatch. I think he's got an opportunity to to really cause issues and be someone who defenses don't know how to stop. And I think that's probably been something that Dan Lanning has worked on probably tire, tirelessly. You know, like he had said, I think he said he's been waking up in the middle of the night getting ready for the season. Uh, that's somebody you wake up and kind of break out in a cold sweat because you've got to <laughs> figure out a way to stop him. Uh, I think he's got a real opportunity uh, to uh, be, uh, you know, very dynamic in this game and have a chance to let these, uh, you know, with him and, and also if they get the other tight ends involved, uh, I think it can kind of create a mismatch that Oregon isn't necessarily ready for. And uh, I think it's got a chance uh, to, to really shine. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Can I, I want to ask a follow-up before I ask my next question because I was just sitting here thinking, um, we've heard so much talk about Brock. Is there a player who you can compare him to in the NFL? Is there someone who you like? You go, there's the NFL equivalent. There's somebody who you watch and think of because I'm kind of struggling to think of it. And you obviously watch Brock more than I have. I don't know how much. I assume you watch probably as much pro football or, or if not more than I do. But is, is there a comp? It's kind of hard because as hard as this is to believe, especially you know watching his highlights last year, he's not that big. You know, yeah. uh, I so this is my first year back at Georgia. I went to Georgia covered a few other uh, you know high schools and, and covered Auburn and then came back to Georgia. So I didn't cover Brock last year. And uh, he came in for his first media availability this year. And 
obviously he's you know he's still a pretty big guy but i was standing there by him being like man this is the guy you know nobody could stop but i think that is part of what makes him so good is he's so athletic i mean he really does run like a receiver and and that's what makes georgia's tight end room really dangerous this year is the fact that brock still has strength but also is a very good route runner makes plays like a receiver then you have eric gilbert you know lsu transfer who is kind of you know a pretty good receiver um, has blocking ability, and then you kind of go to the next, and that's Darnell Washington, six foot seven, incredible blocker who has worked on his hands a, a great bit. But they, of those three guys, they kind of have a little bit of everything you would want. And you know, in certain situations, we may see different guys. So yeah, there's not a natural comp I would say to Brock Bowers. There isn't somebody that just like, oh, that he's not Gronk. You know, he's not that big guy mm-hmm. that you know is just gonna bully linebackers trying to cover him or or uh, God help any defensive backs trying to do it. But uh, but he's a talented guy, and I expect him to build off uh, what was a really, really impressive freshman year. All right. I'm going to ask you, because we're kind of I think cl- closing on wrapping up here. Um, give me three things that Georgia has to do to, to make sure they win this game. Because, you know, I, I think we, we've talked a little about some of the matchups. We just talked about an X factor. I, I probably agree that the X factor for both teams is like, what? how does Brock Bowers contribute? Like, can Oregon slow him down? How much can Georgia get out of him? What are some other things like? What are what are three things that maybe stand out? You think like, okay, if Georgia does this, this, and this, they're gonna win. Kind of talked about it earlier, but I think it's generating pressure against that experienced Oregon line. I think that's gonna be huge if they do it, because not only is that gonna disrupt things, I mean, it can even make a guy like Bo Nix uncomfortable. And I think that is again, I, I covered Auburn for a few years, so I've seen Bo play, and when you can kind of get him flustered, that's when you're in a good opportunity. Uh, you know, to beat Auburn and, and get a chance to get the upper hand on Auburn. Uh, but also, to me, the running game, we talked about Kenny McIntosh. I think, I do think they're going to be willing to throw the ball more in the second year of really Stetson being the starter um, and understanding that they can trust him. And again, things are going to be built for him. But I still think, you know, as long as Kirby Smart has been at Georgia, uh, it has been, you know, this is his seventh season as the head coach. He has never shied away from being a, a smash mouth team that's going to run the ball. Um, you know, Tom Munkin's got some air raid background in him, and, and they're going to throw the ball a good bit. But I think they're going to really rely on Kenny McIntosh and some of those other running backs uh, to move the ball and move it well. This is going to be a really big test for this offense. Those two starters from last year. Uh, they've gotten a good feel for who's going to step up and part. Really, the only question on the offensive line. Uh, deals with the guards. Um, but I think if they have trouble running the ball and they really, really have to rely on Stetson, it could be asking a lot. It could be a situation that makes things difficult as far as scoring and, and moving the ball effectively. And then the other key to me, it's simple. And I feel like it, it sometimes feel like a cop out when you're talking about football, but you got to win the turnover battle. I, I think when, you know, Georgia's defense the last few years, they're usually not one of the more, you know, turnover-creating defenses, but they do a good job. And, and for the most part, Georgia's offense does a good job of handling the football. But when you look at the only loss they had, which was in December against Alabama in the SEC title game, two turnovers didn't create any uh, against that Alabama offense. And then that second turnover of the two was a 42-yard pick six by Jordan Battle, which was essentially the knockout blow, made it, I think, a three-touchdown game. And you just knew at that point Alabama was going to win. And obviously Georgia had to figure a lot of things out before the playoff run. 
but to me, that's it. You know, I think if if Georgia can hold on to the ball, especially considering there's going to be a lot of new faces, taking more reps, touching the ball more than they're used to, especially with those running backs, you know, being asked to probably carry the ball more than they have in their entire coll- collegiate career. Um, I think it's imperative that they hold on to the football and and maybe even cause a turnover or two uh, to help their chances uh, as they get ready to start the year. Jordan, we've been uh, Eric and I and our co-host Jared. We've been accused this week of not having a lot of confidence in Oregon, and I, I think uh, I, we haven't released our picks yet. I don't know what Eric's doing, but I would guess he's picking them to lose, just like I I'm picking. Uh, Oregon to lose this game so we're gonna have Duck fans get upset because we've talked a lot about the success of Georgia but I think Eric and I have tried to take a a really level-headed approach this is a really freaking good team um, that Georgia has how does Oregon beat them like what has to happen for Oregon to beat this team because every team has a weakness some have two how is Oregon going to be able to win this game if they come out and do it? What What's the factor here? To me, it's going to be that Bo Nix has an incredible game, which isn't unheard of. I mean, I was there last, uh, I guess that was October, when he went down to LSU and just played out of his mind, had an excellent game and helped uh, Auburn beat LSU in Baton Rouge for the first time since 1999. I think that's a big key of it is if they can put Bo in positions to make plays. And I think it's possible because of the fact that this is a very young defense. This is a defense that's going to be breaking in a lot of new guys. You think about an athletic guy like Bo Nix, and again, teaming up with a guy like Kenny Dillingham, I think that's huge. I'm very intrigued to see how they go about trying to attack Georgia. And uh, again, you know, to me, it all boils down to if Georgia can generate enough pressure. And then uh, on the other side, I, I think it's if this Oregon defense, I mean, I know it's got a lot of talent if it can really force Georgia to throw the ball. And I still think Georgia is capable. And if it gets into that situation, I don't think it's dire or, you know, well, Georgia's Georgia's in trouble. But it's going to make things a lot more difficult. Georgia always does such a good job running the ball. Had so many great uh, tailbacks over the years and guys they can count on to get that four or five yards, especially when it's tough getting in the third quarter, fourth quarter. If they get into a situation where Oregon – has pretty much proven that Georgia is not going to be able to run the ball. I think that that opens up a window. I think it gives Oregon a, a chance to hang around. And again, that that's the thing that was so interesting to me writing about this Oregon team this week, given how much has changed with the staff, having all the transfers in, it was sort of hard to get a feel for what's coming. And I'm sure, obviously, the coaches have a lot more uh, you know, that they've gotten to watch. Listening to Stetson Bennett, he was talking about the Oregon defense, and he was like, you pretty much have to watch you know, video and clips of four different teams mm-hmm. to get ready for this one. So, I mean, there, there is kind of an element of surprise when it comes to this game, and you know, if Oregon's able to play it right, it, it could be really interesting. Yeah, it's so weird because you know, we cover the team, <laughs> and I think I, I, we, I was just on – Jordan Jordan show with Kip Adams right before this. And I talked about it because we were asking about some of these questions and I'm kind of going like, I'll do my best to answer, but they're a mystery to us. And I would say we're two of the most dialed in people to this little program that aren't on staff or members of the team. It's kind of hard to get a feel for it. And I think Dan is pretty much aware of that and, and has been very, very careful. Like even today we asked, somebody asked like, you, you lean in any direction with the starting kicker? And he goes, yep. 
Nothing else. There's a leader. There's, There's a leader. leader. That's he what he did, said. Hey, he did answer your question. I'll give you that. Question. <laughs> but he did the. Uh, that's the classic. Why you don't ask a yes or no question? Yes. You'll just get a yes or no answer. So I mean, I just think there's, you know, it's 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 kind of interesting to hear it from the other side of someone who's kind of prepping for this game and reading up and trying to feel get a feel for Oregon because for those of us that have been around the program the most, it's even hard to get a feel for them. Um, let's do a prediction. You got a prediction, Jordan? You have an idea of kind of where you're leaning on this one? Yeah, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth when it comes to the spread, which the last thing I saw I think was Georgia by 17. I don't yep. think Georgia's going to cover. I'm saying Georgia 31-17. I, I really like what Oregon's got. I think they're able to make plays. I think, you know, I've seen Bo Nix make plays, and I think the fact that uh, to have a guy like Kenny Dillingham, who, you know, when he came to Auburn, that was his offensive coordinator. That was basically who was signing up uh, to play for. I think that's a big opportunity. But then in the end, I just think even as inexperienced as some of the talent is for Georgia, particularly on defense, I just think Georgia's going to make too many plays. I think that uh, Oregon may be within about a touchdown uh, at halftime, and then Georgia's able to make some plays. Uh, by the time we get into midway through the fourth quarter, I, I think Georgia is able to win, but I do not think Georgia's going to cover. Real quick, I, I can't believe I didn't answer this, ask this question at the beginning, but just what do you anticipate the atmosphere to be like um, at Mercedes? Because there's a lot of things colliding here. First game of the season, uh, I, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know how how big. Georgia Stadium is compared to Mercedes, but I'm I'm assuming there's probably more fans in Mercedes than uh, at Georgia's home field. So there's probably going to be even more people at this game. Uh, it's two top eleven teams in the country, two of the bigger brands in college football playing, and then on top of that, this is the first game since Georgia has played since winning the national championship. Like what what's the atmosphere going to be like? You you feel like is it going to be just unreal, crazy? Yeah, you know, I'd have to look. I think Sanford Stadium holds some more people. I don't know that for a fact, but I think they do. But even with that said, it's going to be a CRED. And, uh, yeah. you know, I think uh, nobody's uh, is, uh, you know, naive enough talking to the coaches or the players to say, well, this is a neutral site game. Yeah. <laughs> it's a home game for Georgia that is played in Atlanta rather than Athens. So it's going to be really exciting. There's going to be a lot of fans. You know, there were a lot of fans who took that trip to Indianapolis for the title game. But there's going to be a lot of fans who may not have made that sort of trip. They're going to be there in Atlanta. It's going to be packed. People are going to be excited. It's week one, you know, more than anything. Uh, but coming off a national championship, I think it's going to be pretty electric. And uh, I think there's going to be a whole lot of Georgia fans. And, and maybe we'll get some green in there. I, I'd like to see. I, I don't know how much, uh, how many Oregon fans will be there. there but. I talked to someone that works in the ticket office, donor office. They're anticipating somewhere around 10,000. That, that, was, that was kind of their – their feeling of if we get to 10, we're really happy. If we're close, Hey, we, we made a good run. If they're not close, they'll be pretty disappointed. There's, there's a very strong contingent of duck fans on the East coast. And when ways back, Eric was actually at this game when Oregon played Virginia. Yeah. Um, there was a huge number of duck fans at that game. Probably won't be nearly as many this time around, but 10, they're, they're shooting for 10,000. And this could be one in. small little blotter of green in, in the uh, in the sea of red. 
And this will tie into the question we, we posed earlier. If Oregon has 10,000 fans there, that means Georgia will have about 60,000 fans because Mercedes-Benz holds 71,000, and, and Jordan probably knows this, uh, Stanford Stadium, 92 and change. So oh, wow. uh, Georgia's home stadium is, is actually about 20,000 bigger from a capacity wow. perspective as Mercedes-Benz. We learned stuff. There we go. Hey, Jordan, <laughs> thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll certainly catch up with you in the press box sometime uh, Saturday afternoon before this game kicks off. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoyed it. And, hey, you guys need any food recommendations, anything like that, hit me up. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season, streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.